Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin and I'm the Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the growth of data and how to action it effectively with the findings of a Market Plus survey by IDG Research and Matillion. And joining us to lend his expertise on this is Matthew Scullion, who is the founder and CEO at Matillion, the tech company that is data transformation for cloud data warehouses. Now, before I bring Matthew on, I just want to give you a little bit of background on him before we start. So he co-founded his first startup at the age of 18. And before starting Matillion in 2011, Matthew worked in commercial IT and software development for 15 years at a number of British and European system integrators. He's expanded Matillion opening offices in the US and sold Matillion ETL worldwide and constantly looks for new ways to innovate and broaden the scope of Matillion's offerings. So, Matthew, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and having a chat with us. Not a problem at all, Max. Thanks for having us. We appreciate the opportunity and I'm looking forward to chatting all things data with you. Exactly. And I think we've got uh, a good topic to dive into here because the survey that was done had a lot of interesting findings around it. So I think a good starting point here is if you could maybe just outline what the key takeaways from the survey were that you really want people to focus on that's really showing the growth of data. We were delighted late last year to work with IDG Research on creating this Market Pulse survey titled optimizing business analytics by transforming data in the cloud. It was a really interesting process because, of course, when you're working with a great quality research firm like IDG, you can't influence the results, right? But what we found as we read the result data in the surveys, the conclusions that they drawn is they were really confirmatory and or explained trends and thematics that we'd seen, but with the authentic voice of CIOs and business people inside our typical customers. The results, as I say, we found really interesting. And they were all about how companies are using data and thinking about using data to gain competitive advantage. And some of the data points that were surfaced were, uh, I guess, particularly of note or, or stark, perhaps starting with an obvious one, but interesting to see it pulled out into some kind of statistical quantitative analysis around data volume, which we all know is growing super fast, but just how fast, I think, is interesting to read. On average, respondents to this survey were saying that their entire data volume grows by 63% every single month. And in fact, in around 10% of respondents, it was growing by 100% a month, right? And that's super relevant to the challenges that customers face when trying to innovate with data. Of course, what it means is it drives a need for scalability in any technology that you're using to try and get a hold of and get insights out of your corporate data. The other thing, and this is particularly important to anyone that's worked with data, be that an IT professional, such as a BI person or a data warehouse architect or an ETL developer. And it's important to us at Matillion as data transformation software built for the cloud. And that pertains to 
the number of places the data is coming from, sources, as we often refer to it in the category. The mean here across the companies we surveyed as part of this research with IDG was 400 different sources of data that people are using and surfacing, 400 different systems. Some of those would have been there a generation ago, you know, the big core systems, the ERPs, the CRMs, the legacy systems, perhaps. Of course, today we have a proliferation and acceleration of new solutions procured by the business or by IT, providing data from all of those different systems, be they SaaS, public cloud, home-baked systems built on-prem or in the cloud, files and APIs, both internal and third-party, this proliferation of systems. And in fact, in the case of 20% of respondents, that number wasn't 400, it was 1,000, 1,000 different systems. Each of those systems, in turn, with dozens or hundreds of objects or types of data inside them. You know, I always remember SAP has 80,000 different tables under the hood. Salesforce, hundreds of different constructs like accounts and contacts and cases and communications. And so 400 on average, 1,000 in 20% of cases, and each of those with dozens or hundreds of different objects inside. We see this all the time in customers using Matillion to transform data for business insight and analytical gain in the cloud, even in a single use case to ask and answer a single business question, not at all unusual to see 10, 15, 20 different systems and sources of data, REST APIs, SaaS systems, core systems, third-party sites like Google Analytics and Facebook and Instagram nowadays even. And whilst the data volume we know drives the need for scalability. This proliferation and complexity of sources drives a need to deal with complexity, right? Every source we add increases complexity. It also increases the potential value you can get out of the data, but you don't get to that value unless you can do it at scale and handle this level of complexity. A third key message that we heard and saw presented by IDG in this particular piece of research was about how the cloud affects all of this. Of course, as a CEO of a cloud ISV, it's really easy for me to think that everything's in the cloud now. We've been in business since 2011, always been a cloud native business. Matillion ETL, the product line for which we're known and the reason we're talking to you today, launched in 2015. And so the world feels very cloudy to us. Of course, Much of the world's data and much of the world's compute still done outside of the cloud. But it was interesting to see how much progress is being made and just what a significant percentage of data and in general IT is now done in the cloud or is planned very soon to be done in the cloud. In fact, according to the respondents of our survey, at least, already one third of data full stop is in the cloud. And in terms of companies choosing to do their data innovation in the cloud, well, that's already most, but within the next two years is basically all. 99% of respondents to this piece of research said that we're either doing it already or we will be doing it in the next two years. And this is around all sorts of use cases from the obvious ones in business analytics like 
financial and business analytics, marketing and customer analytics, but also increasingly driven by new use cases, things like AI and ML, and also instrumentation of sensors and machines and products with IoT and streaming style workloads. The reason why CIOs and business professionals and data teams, be they in IT or out in the business, are choosing to use the cloud actually isn't necessarily cost on its own, isn't necessarily scalability or power on its own. The very strong message we heard back through this research is that by far the most important thing to businesses when it comes to competing and winning using data, and therefore the reason that they're doing it in the cloud is actually time to value. It's the ability to get to that answer quickly in order to gain a competitive edge. And then the last sort of key thing that we heard, which is very resonant for Matillion, but I think hopefully important to listeners to this podcast and to companies innovating with data in general, is that there's different bits you need to do in an analytics project, right? You need to get your data out to users and make it look nice, the data visualization or BI layer. You might need to train the models and run the AI and ML programs to gain insight through a machine learning initiative. But what we heard back through this survey is that the heavy lift, the place where the hard work's done, the place where if you can reduce this, you have the chance to significantly accelerate time to value, is actually in the transformation of the data. Taking that data volume that's growing on average at 63%, and in some cases up to 100%, spread across on average 400 sources, and sometimes up to 1,000 sources, and even in a single use case, 10 or 15 or 20 sources, each with dozens and hundreds of objects, taking that volume and complexity of data and turning it into something useful and cleaned up and joined together and ready for analytics, joining the commercial data in the ERP to the marketing data from Marketo and Google Analytics and AdWords to the CRM data in Salesforce and the customer interaction data in Zendesk, joining that data together into a cohesive whole, sorting out its quality, aggregation, and embellishing it with business metrics. This is really the key work of either the IT or citizen data integrator. And it's this that companies recognize is the heavy lift, but also recognize that it's where value is created. Now, of our respondents, or rather IDG's respondents in this survey, 90% said that they found this challenging and nearly two thirds very or extremely challenging. So you've got this nice paradox here. This is an opportunity for companies to get better time to value, compete with data at an accelerated rate because it's where the work's done. It's where the heavy lift is with 90% finding it challenging, nearly two thirds finding it very or extremely challenging. And so if you can crack the code right there and compress that bit, that's the opportunity to get faster time to value. In terms of transformation, 37% of our respondents we're actually still manually coding this stuff, right? Python scripts and hand-cranked SQL scripts. 
And so that's perhaps something we'll talk about a little more later in the podcast. But if you're talking about time to value, if you're talking about innovating at pace in order to gain competitive advantage, doing that in low level code, it's not necessarily the way I think many of our customers want to be going, but nonetheless, interesting to learn that 37% of them still are. So this all makes sense, right? We've got all these sources, all this data volume. We deeply value the competitive advantage that we get by accelerating time to value, accelerating the speed at which we can compete with data. We recognize that the transformation of the data is the heavy lift, but it's also where value is created. And some of that challenge is made harder by the fact that a good chunk of us are still manually coding. Those were the sort of key findings that were surfaced by IDG Research in this Market Pulse survey. Perfect. I think there's so much within the survey. It's a really fascinating read for people to kind of delve into. And you're right, there's so much in there for people to kind of unpack and take away from. Some of the most important things you mentioned there was, you know, how quickly data is increasing, the sources from where it's coming from. It, it really is a bit uh, bit mind-boggling when you do end up looking at the individual layers of data. I think that's an important step that we should kind of hone in on a little bit more because, as you mentioned, data is increasing and we're all in agreement that it's not slowing down anytime soon. So from an organization perspective, what processes do they need to be putting into place to really gain actionable insights into this data? Yeah, great question, Max. And I'm a CEO, right? So I'm, I probably would feel slightly inauthentic getting down to the individual construction of the ETL jobs and the lifecycle management of that process. Although by way of authenticity, I should say I did do this myself for a long time. So hopefully a semi-authentic person, even though I've ended up as a CEO. But I think, you know, if we zoom out for a minute, the way I see the world is every company doesn't just want to today, but needs to and has to compete with data at an accelerated rate whether that's to streamline business processes, understand and service customers better and with more resonance, to develop and improve or even to be products, right? Data becoming parts of products or products in its own right, at the minimum informing how products should be improved. So every company doesn't just want to, but needs to compete using data in order to survive, really. And the cloud has an interesting part to play on this, because first of all, it's the place where we all do it, right? We've heard already in the survey that within the next two years, 99% of companies competing with data in the cloud. But it's also the cloud that's driving that imperative, right? With the cloud, we have unlimited scale, very easy to stand up, very quick to stand up. The ability to handle all those data sources and all that data volume without barrier to entry and, and without long lead times. Compare that to a generation ago, if you wanted to handle many billions of rows of data in analytical use cases, you needed to buy a data warehouse appliance. Probably what, six, nine month sales cycle, a few million bucks. It arrives on the back of a semi rig and gets installed in your data center. And then a year after, maybe you start the process of doing some innovation with data. Whereas now with your Amex card and a couple of mouse clicks, you can stand up something of the same capability. So that facility gives every company the ability to compete using data. And in turn, every company needs to or wants to. So you're going to compete with data. You're going to do it in the cloud and you want to do that faster than everyone else. So getting around now to 
answering your question, what processes should organizations be putting in place to gain actionable insights? Well, we can go a level lower in a minute, but I think a really important steer and something we see a very strong macro trend on is the role of the citizen data professional and the citizen data integrator in doing this stuff. At a really simple level, there is a lot more people out in the business. You know, these are sophisticated knowledge workers that understand their business and are technical enough to do a really cool Excel spreadsheet and therefore can also understand how to join together, embellish and innovate with data. But they're not necessarily IT guys, right? They don't care about IAM roles or Linux kernel versions or uh, EC2 instances that they expect a consumer-like experience. But if you think there's just a lot more of those people and they're a lot closer to the coalface, which cuts down the cycle time of innovation, they understand the problem already. They understand the data already. They're the people that are perfectly positioned to innovate with data for competitive advantage at an accelerated rate. I think really this is the trend and the thematic that customers should be looking to support in order to accelerate the pace at which they can compete with data. And it changes the relationship a little bit between IT and the business. What we hear back from our customers, and you know, we have a customer advisory board with some sophisticated cloud native businesses on it, but also lots of large cap corporates from North America and Europe and around the rest of the world. And we talk to these guys deeply on a regular basis and listen to what they say. And, you know, we hear through that medium and others that this relationship is changing between IT and the business when it comes to innovating with data. IT is increasingly thinking of itself and becoming the service provider. You know, they'll provide a suite of technologies that can be used by the business to innovate with data. And they remain focused on cost and functionality and security and other non-functionals, but they're providing the tools down to the business. And it's the data analysts, citizen data integrators in marketing, in finance, in product development, in data insights teams sat out in the business that are actually pulling the data using the tools provided by IT and or industry but it's them that's pulling the data, joining it together, embellishing it, turning it from low value, high volume, heterogeneous and disparate raw materials into analytics ready, high value data ready to support insight in data visualization, BI, AI or ML. That's happening in the business. Now, a key thing here is citizen data professional doesn't mean lack of sophistication. And we've already heard back from the IDG research survey results that the complexity line isn't going down, right? It's going up steeply, hundreds of systems, billions of rows of data doubling month on month. The complexity is going up. So citizen data integrator doesn't mean dumb it down and make it simple because they're not an IT person, not at all. They require as much scalability and as much sophistication, if not more, than we ever did previously. But they also demand a consumer-like experience 
and as I mentioned before, you know, not bothered by all the technical terms and how it works under the hood. They just want it to work. So I would say as a key trend and uh, processes and technologies that organizations should be putting into place to gain actionable insights, it's building that muscle to allow you to compete with data and accelerated rates, allowing you to tackle that bit of feedback we heard in the survey that 90% of our respondents find the transform piece challenging, 57% very or extremely challenging. And in doing so, it's empowering those citizen data integrators and citizen data professionals to do that work in a way that doesn't lack sophistication, but that is consumer-like. And because those citizen data professionals are closer to the coalface, understand the data, understand the business challenge, understand the insights they want to get to, that cuts down the cycle time. Because there's just a lot more of them, that's more feet on the street, allowing you to innovate at an accelerated rate. IT's function becomes to furnish those guys with the tools and technologies they need to be successful. And if you as an organization can be successful putting into place that, which you can be with modern technology, like I hope Matillions, but also many others, then I think that's what allows companies to prosper against this backdrop of every company, not just wanting to, but needing to compete with data. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's um, an interesting approach. And I like that idea. And I think a lot of companies should follow that kind of approach because it's very important to have everyone involved, doesn't it? And have everyone take those steps to make sure that you reach the end goal. Yeah. The key thing to risk repeating myself is sometimes when we think, oh, you know, 10 years ago, this group of people didn't do this and now they do. So let's dumb it down. You know, let's take all the buttons off. Let's make the process really simple. You know, in a culinary metaphor, let's take away the knives and the blenders and the raw ingredients and let's give them cup noodle and a kettle and they can get on with it like that. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. We've already seen the data situation is becoming more complex. The data volume's bigger and the rate at which companies need to innovate with data faster. All that speaks to more sophistication. So it's about successfully empowering citizen data integrators and citizen data professionals, albeit in a complex landscape. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, so if we take this kind of a step further, then we've mentioned in the survey that that people are finding it difficult to take this mass amount of data and, and make it usable for analytics. So let's take it a step down and talk about ETL. So when we're looking at an ETL approach, what's the benefit of this? How beneficial is it? And, and what does it really look like when, when implementing? Yeah, so Max, first of all, your language was bang on right on saying it's an ETL approach. And like so many things in IT and software, there's all sorts of ways to skin the cat. So ETL, basic level, extract, transform, load. Extract is pull the data out of the system that you want to get it from. Those 400 or 1,000 systems, probably not all of them at once in your average use case, but um, you know, 10, 15, 20 of them in a given use case. So you need to be able to get the data out. And little sort of spoiler on my industry and category, that's pretty table stakes, right? Every tool can do that. It's pretty easy. It's important and it needs to work, but it's not super exciting. It's not where value is created, but you do need to be able to do that extract and then the l load is put the data into the place that's your analytical data store so for matillion we're data transformation for cloud data warehouses so we're always loading into a cloud data warehouse products like snowflake 
Amazon Redshift, Google BigQuery, actually very shortly. And so I'll give you a, a, a sort of advanced preview of this, Max, but next month we'll launch a product for Synapse on Microsoft Azure. All these are cloud data warehouses, analytical data stores where you put your finished polished data ready to be consumed in Tableau or Looker or an AI or ML project or whatever. So that's your E and your L. And then the other bit is T, transform. And it's you know one of those rare, well-labeled things in IT, right? Normally we give things horrible names to confuse, but ETL is not too bad, right? Extract it, load it, transform it. And transforms are a good word, we think, because it talks to the technical thing that you're doing. You're transforming normalized, heterogeneous, little bits of siloed data from system A, B, and C, you need to join it together. It's all slightly different formats, so you need to make it all line up. Even within a given system, you know, maybe the orders are in one table, the invoices are in another table, the customers are in another table. You need to join all that together, clean it up, get rid of the bits that you don't want, label things clearly so that when they appear in Tableau later, it's not some weird code, it's someone's name or a product description, all that good stuff. That bit, you know, it's simple in concept, but it stacks up quickly. If you've got a couple of hundred different objects or even a couple of dozen different objects, it's manually pretty involved. Hence, you know, 90% of customers finding this bit challenging. And then on top of just joining things together, neatening it up, doing what we call denormalizing, which is saying rather than have the data spread across different objects, different systems, have it all in one place, which is much better for analytics. That's denormalizing. The other thing we do is we embellish metrics, business value, and decisions into that data. Essentially, we are developing business logic. Super simple example I always like to think of is let's say we were analyzing trading in some sort of e-commerce situation. We can figure out who customers are, we can figure out where we got them through the marketing automation platform and through the third-party advertising and web analytics sites. We can figure out what we sold them and how much we charged for them. But let's say a business person's got a question, how much margin did I make selling blue jeans in Texas in the month of January? Well, there's actually a fair bit of transformation needed to support being able to ask and answer a question like that dynamically. You know, you need to join the product descriptions to the orders in order so that you know that order was for blue jeans. You need to join the customer to the state file so you know that XYZ code actually meant Texas. But on the gross margin bit, that's probably not in the system. You've probably got a calculation that works that out. And so you need to embellish metrics into the data. So by the time you come to look at it in Looker or Tableau or in your AI project or whatever, that answer, that one version of the truth is already there. So that's what we mean by the T in transformation. Now, you can do ETL in a number of different ways. Typically, when someone says ETL, they often mean an ETL product or piece of software. And so we'll come back to those in a moment. But you can do it in code, right? You can write code that talks to the API or file system or tables of the source system and, you know, somehow clutches a way to copy that across to somewhere where you can get custody of it and then upload it into the cloud data warehouse or lake and then write SQL or some other programming language to join it together. And so just to be clear, like pretty much everything in IT, you can hand code it. Normally what we mean with ETL though 
is some sort of ETL software. And essentially here, the benefit is that users of the software can do those joins, those aggregations, embellish those business logic metrics and decisions visually or in a low-code, no-code or code-optional environment. If you look at Matillion, for instance, we've got this beautiful graphical high-fidelity canvas, kind of looks a little bit like a um, draw.io or Visio diagram, if you can imagine that. And you map your tables in, you join them together. Anytime you want to get a bit funky, you can punch out to code. Uh, we hope we've built the tool in such a way, though, where you don't need to because we produce better, faster SQL than the average human being can. And all the things that you might want to do, you'll find good componentry for. But essentially, you're just making the authoring of that extract load and crucially transformation where the heavy lift is much faster and also much more manageable. That's another key point. Businesses end up with hundreds and thousands of these things. And a given project can be made up of dozens of jobs. A given job can be made up of hundreds of components. So actually, the ability to communicate these elsewhere in the business, version them, and maintain them is really important as well. And we think about that in the ETL tooling a lot. Finally, when you've actually built your ETL tools, you need to make all this stuff work in the context of a sophisticated organization. You need to be able to collaborate, ideally, control versions, kind of ETL development lifecycle, if you like, data ops. You need to be able to integrate with other services, so to know that data's arrived, to tell something if it didn't work, to send data onto downstream systems. All that stuff is in the wheelhouse of ETL. Just one final contrast that I'd provide, if I may, is that you really have ETL is the problem domain, and our tool is called Matillion ETL, our range of tools, but there are different ways of technically achieving it under the hood. And so the architecture of Matillion ETL, just to really sort of make your mind spin a bit at this point, Max, is Matillion ETL is actually an ELT architecture. And all that means is under the hood, rather than transforming the data on our own infrastructure, wait until we've got the result and then loading the finished product into the data warehouse, rather in a post-cloud world, we think it's much better to just flip the order of that a little bit. We extract the data as normal, like everyone else does. We load it into the data warehouse in its raw state, and then we apply the transformations in situ on the data warehouse. And this is how you do it if you were starting today rather than starting pre-cloud, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And the reason for that is the cloud's very powerful, very fast, very optimized of crunching data, right? Snowflake or Redshift, these are great places to crunch data. They're also cost-effective and scalable and easy to scale. And so it makes sense to do the heavy lift in the platform. And the benefits to that are much faster, in turn, therefore, and when combined with the modern consumer-like user paradigm, much more productive in terms of getting time to value. We know how important that was from our survey. And also much simpler infrastructure because the heavy lift is done by the managed service of the cloud data warehouse. So that's the subtlety between ETL and ELT. ETL is a valid description of the overall problem domain. But if you were starting today, what you'd probably build, we think, if you were sensible, is an ELT architecture, which you don't really need to worry about too much as a user, apart from the fact it's much faster at crunching data. It's much more productive because the development time's faster, you get to insight quicker, and the infrastructure is much simpler. I think the ETL or ELT 
how you look at it does make sense as, as an option for for companies. And, and there's a point I wanted to kind of pick up there and just go into just slightly more detail is you mentioned about manually coding and, and companies still take this approach for getting that format and insight of analytics. How do you kind of approach those companies and show them this alternative and this ease of option, but they're still determined to go to manually coding data route? What's, what's the actual benefit for it? The benefit is dramatically, uncontroversially, much, much faster time to value. And if you go back to the survey, that was the most important thing, right? Why are 99% of companies competing with there in the cloud? It wasn't cost, wasn't scalability, wasn't performance. It was time to value. And what manually coding is the opposite of is time to value. Now, it hits you on a couple of levels, right? First of all, it's low level. So it's comparatively slow compared to using a tool. Uh, and I'm being too British and polite. It's not comparatively slow. It's really, really, really slow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of the pace at which you innovate, it's not slow when you run it, right? It's the same when you run it. We produce code under the hood, but uh, it's just slow in terms of the pace at which you can innovate, the pace at which the business asks a question and you can answer it with data. So that's the first place it hits you. And then it hits you again forever in terms of it being hard to maintain, right? Because you've got these rafts and rafts of hand-cranked SQL other languages you know maybe the guy that built our stuff doesn't work here anymore and you've got to unpick it i mean it's a demonstration of this and hopefully we learn our lessons in this industry but last time round in the kind of pre-cloud world the big companies they've just got thousands and thousands of hand cranked ttl processes and there's now a whole cottage industry of little tiny software vendors that specialize in making little tools and utilities or on a consulting basis, just like unpicking these things to figure out what they're doing. And this is where it hits you again in terms of time to innovation. If you've got like all this code and you're not quite sure how it all interoperates, your ability to make a change to it is then really slow as well because you've got to be super careful. And every time you lift the bonnet up, you've got this hugely complicated engine underneath. And then the other bit, of course, is skills, right? So most of us can write a little bit of SQL, you know, can definitely all do a select all. We can probably do a select from where. Might even be able to do an order by. If you get onto stacking like 55 joins on top of each other, then even for the most advanced SQL guy, it does sort of make the brain start to warm up a little bit. And so it becomes that you need a specialist skill set to do that. And, and I'd argue even that runs out of steam pretty quick. And then when it starts to hit you is ability to innovate at pace because you, your brain just can't hold all that in there. But for the normal person, and we talked a lot earlier about the citizen data professional, they're not going to want to or perhaps even be able to do all this stuff in code. And it's not what they used to either. You know, we discussed in citizen data professionals, they want a consumer-like experience, but it hits you in terms of skills you need the skills. Skills are in scarce supply, which then again hits you in terms of time to value. If you've only got three guys that can do it instead of 30 or 300, then you can only go at 10 or 1% of the pace you'd otherwise do it. So all that links back to, you know, what's the key thing that we want to do? We want to innovate with data fast. What's doing it manually in code the opposite of? It's the opposite of that, right? Because it's slow to do in the first place. It's hard to maintain, gets brittle, and you need scarce skills, which means you can't get as many feet on the street actually doing it for you. Now, there are some use cases where coding kind of makes sense. If you're not doing a lot of transformation, 
or if the transformation doesn't change over time, if it's both of those things. What I mean by change over time is, Max, I'm sure you'll have been in this situation, someone asks you a question, and so you answer that question with data. You know full well, within 15 minutes, you're getting another question back, right? Ah, oh, right, I see we're selling lots of blue jeans in Texas, so how are we doing in Arkansas? All oh, right, great, let's continue that transformation innovation. If that's not going to happen, and particularly if it's intersected with some unusually high top 1% or 2% data volume characteristics, then it can make sense to code. You know, let's say you've got web log data coming in from a top100.com, and all you want to do is pre-aggregate it a bit to make it controllable because it's literally billions of lines of data an hour. You just want to pre-aggregate it down a little bit. You know, that makes sense to do in code. It's worth bringing in the propeller head guy to code that up because it's not going to change once you've done it. It's very high data volume, so you might want to tune it a little bit. Pretty much everything else, it makes no sense to code. But of course, industries normally start with coding because ISVs like me haven't yet built tools and because the people innovating at the front of the vanguard are pretty technical and so are used to doing it with code. Then as the industry matures, in this case, I think in an accelerated way because of the relevance of the citizen data integrator, citizen data professional, you know, businesses say I'm much more interested in time to value, maintainability, ability to deploy the right people to this task than I am about geeking out overhand doing it in code. I think that makes complete sense and kind of outlines that progression and where it kind of needs to go to. So so thank you for that, Matthew. Finally, Dan, to kind of wrap up and to tie all of this together, I, I want to get your thoughts on what we've been discussing today in relation to what's the future going to be looking like for cloud data warehousing and really how do you hope the industry will evolve and take what we've learned from the survey into account? Yeah, absolutely. And as you can imagine, in my job, there's people much smarter than me working on the day-to-day of delighting our customers, ensuring resonant product market fit, building great quality software, all that sort of stuff. They're all much better than that than me, and they're all focused on today. And so that means there's an unusual dynamic to my job and, and people that do similar things where you do spend quite a bit of time thinking about the future. And so you particularly mentioned cloud data warehouses there. One thing we definitely see is a kind of merging or blurring of the lines between the cloud data warehouse and the cloud data lake. I think that's an interesting phenomenon, something certainly we're well-placed to act in as we sort of play on both sides of that fence as they continue to merge. Uh, But this is interesting for customers because it means they can make more dynamic decisions or in fact not have to worry about the cost of storage. They can keep, collect, process, and gain advantage from ever-increasing amounts of data practically as the line blurs between the more expensive but higher value cloud data warehouse, the cheaper but historically less functional data lake. And those lines are starting to blur, which is really interesting. And, you know, we'll be continuing to extend functionality into our products to make sure that that's simple or in fact transparent to bridge the line between those things. But moving out more macro, you know, I think the biggest thing I'd say is just more and faster, driven by this need to compete using data at an accelerated rate and fueled by the cloud, but also by citizen data integrators, citizen data professionals, you know, an order of magnitude, more people who are closer to the business need data and therefore a better position to deliver insight, all netting out to doing more of this stuff faster. And then the second trend, which I think we see already, and I alluded to it earlier in the podcast, 
is that citizen data integrator doesn't mean pot noodle or cup noodle, right? It doesn't mean dumb it down for me. The sophistication vector is up and to the right. More data, more systems, more ambition, AI and ML workloads increasingly driving more need for data as well. Sophistication's going up. People don't need this dumbing down, but they are citizen data integrators, and so they need it performant, transparent, and consumer-like. There's a pretty rubbish metaphor that we think about here, so I feel a little bit nervous about sharing this, even though we talk about it in the company quite a lot, but there's a bit of a parallel we think, between mobile phones in the 2000s and competing with data today. And so if you think back to like the early 2000s, if you're a normal person on the street, you probably had a Nokia cell phone, right? And uh, uh, hey, they were great. The batteries lasted four days and they were indestructible. But the reason we all had them is because in turn, they were really easy to use because they were really basic. Phone, text, and that snake game, I seem to remember. And then professionals had Blackberries. And Blackberries were a bit ugly and clunkier, a lot more functional, kind of reserved for the professional user, required a load of infrastructure behind the scenes. And so in the end, everybody ended up with a mobile phone, but we didn't dumb them down. We actually made them far more capable and far more sophisticated. And we ended up with iPhones and smartphones, far more capable, certainly than the Nokia, but actually than the Blackberry, and yet consumer-like. Uh, to use. And that was what really drove the growth in mobile computing, mobile functionality. And we think there's a slightly hackneyed, but strong similarity on that overall model in the way companies need to compete with data today. And ultimately, that need to compete and win applies to every single company because the cloud provides this platform that allows you to do it. And so if you're not doing it, your competitors will be. And the commodity of success here is no longer scalability. It's no longer ability to deploy the infrastructure. It's no longer data volume because we can all do that. Actually, it's time to value. So that's my sort of view over the next few years of how it will play out. Excellent. And I think it's going to be a a very interesting time for growth and how it's going to change. If we look at five years ago compared to now, we're in a completely different ball game, really. So it's exciting to see where the kind of market grows and, and heads to. So all I can say, Matthew, is thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today and really providing your insights in this. It's been a great conversation. Max, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much for having us involved. And I'll talk to you next time. Of course, of course. And thank you for everyone who took the time to listen to this podcast. If you'd like more information on what we discussed today, make sure you head on over to matillion.com. We'll be back next week with another in the RC Expert series. But in the meantime, you can get more great content by heading over to em360tech.com. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.